Testing, the modern testing podcast. Join your hosts, Alan. God! Now I'm mad! <laughs> and Brent. I am mindless, agile robot. I must iterate. God! <laughs> As we talk about software engineering, software quality, leadership, and whatever else comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hello, everyone. Howdy. We're back again where Brent and I, after on our 99th try, will try and actually record a podcast. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> I, I don't know why it's every time it's hard. I, I come to Brent's house. To, well, it's Microsoft. It's his office, but it's a, actually a conference room near his office. And I plug all the stuff in, and every time it's different, and somehow on our digital mixer, buttons get pushed and knobs get turned while it's just sitting in a backpack. I just don't understand how these things happen. We are taking um, applications, I suppose, for a full-time sound engineer. There's no pay, (laughs) but that will be equitable with the pay that uh, Brett and I put in, so that's good. (laughs) Yeah, it will be fair. You'll get paid exactly as much as we do. (laughs) Yes, that's true, but yeah. Yeah, or if you just want to volunteer uh, some recording space where we can just set up all our stuff and leave it set up all the time, and just we'll just go there and record. It'd be like the A-B testing studios. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and again, we can't pay rent, but we're looking for a free place to do that. So, oh, maybe if you live close by and have a spare bedroom, we can set your stuff up in there. We'll just show up. One morning every other week or so, and uh, I wonder may, actually probably we, unannounced. Could we register as a nonprofit, and then uh, you know well, we're not going to pay rent, but could that person then use rent as a tax Maybe, maybe. Right. I might be willing to consider doing the effort to look at. What it takes to consider being a nonprofit. <laughs> All right, so how, I, I don't know. I got there because I like what I was. <laughs> well, today doing. you brought in a, a just a crapload of extra yeah, cables. O- over on over to my right, as you can see from our video feed. <laughs> Stop looking on the internet for our video feed. You don't want to see us. We don't have one. I have a whole bunch of extra piles of stuff which I have brought in. Uh, after being tested in anticipation of the upcoming, because this is episode 99, the upcoming episode 100. 100. That is three digits. It's so we're gonna uh, we're gonna have four in binary. We have invited all three <laughs> listeners to participate. Uh, so, if, but if you'd like, if you're one of the three and you would like to be part of that recording, it will be. April 12th at 8 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, probably a few minutes early for a sound check. Uh, You can listen live while we record. You can see what our podcast sounds like before my wonderful editing happens and have a chance to offer some comments, ask quick questions, and be part of that, that exciting event. You know what else happens? You know what happens between now, today's date, which is March 20 something, and April 12th, two weeks from now? I do. What happens? But what do you think happens? In fact, what happens one week from now on April 5th? April 5th. We should have, I mean, appropriate. In a perfect world, we would have recorded on April 5th, but just stuff came up and our recording schedule got shifted. But April 5th is what, Brent? 
five years of being victimized by you on the podcast. I was thinking the same <laughs> damn thing. And we probably recorded it a few days before that. I don't remember how long I took to edit back then. And please, again, if you're getting people into the podcast, don't have them start with episode one. Just just pick a spot farther into the series and start from there if they want to go chronologically. Uh, we were... We are still learning what to do and what to talk about, and maybe we'll get it down by the time we get to episode. I'm 200. still thinking we should just go back and read number. Just say episode. What was it? Sixty two is oh. is actually one, and then everything else was the prequel. We can call it. <laughs> we can call it season two. Oh, and we'll just say don't listen to season one. It wasn't good. That. I like that idea. <laughs> of I mean, course, I think maybe maybe we're on season three or four now. That would, but that's a really good seasons. idea. That would screw up everyone's RSS feeds, and man, they get mad when I do that. Okay, episode ninety nine has a sponsor. One of the three is sponsoring AB testing, and what you just said, hey, nonprofit sponsor. Uh, you can sponsor A-B testing. It's massively cheap. It's practically free. And all that money goes back into buying stamps and stickers and sometimes equipment. Uh, we're still at a net loss, but but it, it helps out. So if we did go nonprofit, now you got me thinking about it. Definitely everything we make gets reinvested back into, back into the show. And I would say even if we – and look, look at us. We don't do this for the money. We do it for the love of each other. Oh, absolutely, that. <laughs> uh, but I like. Let's say let's let's say a world where. And honestly, for uh, before we get into the sponsor, Brent and I have a rule about sponsorship. It has to be something that we that we would use. We think is valuable. We think is something that, given the right situation, like. Of course, Brent has to use Microsoft tools for everything. But given the right scenario, this is something we'd use, it's something a we can endorse. Microsoft now, oh, all right. but the the spirit of what you're saying is absolutely true. Not only would it be something that we would use, uh, but for me in particular, and I think you agree with this, it, it's very important that it aligns with uh, our our mission, mm -hmm. which is. Accelerating the, the achievement of shippable quality, uh, and we think it would something that would would help our our audience. The great thing is, is where Brent and I just spoke together. I can just totally edit him out later if I want. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Where was I going? I was going. Oh, well, as an example, I gave a talk on an, an AMA for the Ministry of Test and asked me anything about modern testing. God, was that a year ago? Oh, something else I want I'll save that for a hundred. Some a nice little partnership coming with Ministry of Testing. But there was they paid me for that. But they also had an option to just donate that money back to scholarships, et cetera, for their events. And if they did that, they'd double it. So that was a no-brainer to do that. But I'm thinking, let's say we got a whole bunch of sponsors. We have a we have a sponsor on every episode, and we're rolling in the dough. I would love to turn that into A B testing scholarships for testing events, for uh, things like that. I would love if 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 there was ever. And again, we're not. We don't go out and look for advertisers. They come to us because they like what we talk about and say, "I want to be on your show and help you guys out." Uh, 
definitely that money either goes back into trying to make this show better. And believe it or not, we are trying as bad as it gets sometimes. And I would love to, if the circumstances uh, got there, I'd love to use any windfall we get from people actually wanting to support our show to give back to the community as much as as we can. We, we would, we would probably pick the community, but yeah, like if we had, if there was enough money, we keep talking about, you know, maybe one day having a test bash here in Seattle, right? But not with the funds we have available. Well, that's right. something that's still going to happen uh, someday. I want to talk about Practitest today. So thank you, uh, Joel and Co. for uh, sponsoring this episode of AB Testing. As you are aware, there's definitely no one-size-fits-all in testing for anything. This is why they built Practitest to do it to be a centralized solution that supports testing of different types and sizes. Scripted, exploratory, automated, whatever. They envision a place where all testing data will reside so that stakeholders can generate the information required for their needs. I want to pause here. It's obviously some copy, but uh, we, I'm, we've talked about this before. But, And you know from being in definitely firmly entrenched in a data job, but but – Preparing the information, the information that a that a IC needs versus the line level manager versus uh, the director of engineering is is different. Oh, for sure. So being able to spin that that testing data, de- generated data in a variety of ways is is a pretty critical. Yeah, and the thing aspect. I think that is was pretty interesting about their approach um, is. They have a mechanism for generating that data regardless of how it sort of sits, right? Because one of the problems uh, we used to, in one of the early episodes, you get 10 architects in a room uh, brainstorming a new automation design. You walk out with 12 designs. Of course. Right. And, of course, they will all have different schemas. They will all have different process models. They will all be different. So this tool does help to coalesce that into the information that's valuable. Mm-hmm. Another issue they're trying to solve is that as we create and run more tests and more types of tests, we end up with a whole bunch of data in the system. Uh, having a lot of data can actually be harmful if you can't control it. So they introduced uh, a revolutionary approach to data organization. Instead of burying the data in folders and within folders, within folders, within folders, they allow users to work with uh, hierarchical filter trees that are based on the same data. Uh, it enables teams to organize information in more flexible and even multiple ways, things we just talked about a little bit before, helping you generate better reports, and I would say more contextually, uh, more contextual reports, uh, and visibility into product and process. At Practitest, they believe that the tester's job is not to test for the sake of testing. I would say that modern testing definitely feels that way as well, <laughs> but to create visibility and provide information that will help... Uh, the team release better products and do it faster. For that reason, having a platform that supports testing is not enough, and they put a lot of effort into their dashboard and reporting modules, which is damn cool. To make sure that, 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 that they didn't write that part, I added that. To make sure any stakeholder can get the relevant information they need in the format they need it and when they need it. 
So practice test is targeting testers. Yeah. But. But. <laughs> right. Uh, if you are a. Uh, if you understand why we wrote up the modern testing principles and uh, you agree with them, uh, there's absolutely no reason. And, and when Joel showed us that I brought this up, there's no reason why this isn't a tool to help you in your process of coaching developers how to move the test or how to yeah. own their own testing. Yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, own their own reporting. Right. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it's right. The, the, one of the problems a lot of the times is, is us and test. We've created this very rich language and this lingo. And we've kind of, in some regards, I think we've purposely obfuscated it to make it unattractive for developers to, to sort of take over. Or, or to generate a job that only we could do thus, uh, celebrating the bottleneck versus getting rid of the bottleneck. Exactly. And so this this absolutely helps to grease the wheels there, or reduce the friction on that, that cultural transfer. We, we talk about over and over again uh, throughout my entire career, uh, one test complaint is, how do we move it upstream? Uh, shift left. Yeah, shift left. That's, that's, that's actually do, the new move it upstream, isn't it? <laughs> Um, well, this is a good left shifter. It is. It is. Uh, Although, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, maybe I want to take that back because I think the left shift is a I think stupid it, fad. I, 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 <laughs> shift. I, I, I have mocked that phrase for many, many, many moons. Triple dub dot practitest, P-R-A-C-T-I-T-E-S-T dot com. Check them out. Uh, thanks, Joel and Co. for sponsoring this episode, and I hope that uh, some of the three, or maybe, will we ever have four listeners? Probably not. But I hope some of the three uh, check it out and see if they can use it for their teams. Cool. Let's. You ready to move on to the topic du jour? Oh, yeah. And actually, the other thing I'll say on that one is uh, Joel's on the Slack channel. Uh, if you're not one of the three dot slack dot com, you can go to moderntesting.org and find a link to sign up and hang out with us yourself. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure Joe will completely agree to personally, uh, being your hands on support for practice. Test. Yeah. The cool thing about practice <laughs> test and one thing I didn't bring up and actually, so the never ending ad here, but it's worth it is that it doesn't try and be a kitchen sink. It doesn't try and be everything for everyone. It it's it's small and focused and which means it's easy to get ramped up and learn and it's a small company and you will get uh, a lot of love. Yeah. Joel is on the road helping people out with practice test all the time and and it's a good tool with great results. I uh, I see a lot of real solid possibilities with that tool. Definitely. Um, or tool set. We should right. call it. Right, I think it's great where it is right now, um, but it, it, I think there's a lot of things that would be very easy for them to add that would make it super powerful. Cool. All right, we have. Uh, let's get into right here about 15 minutes into the podcast. Let's talk about postmodern Allen. Yeah, are we ever gonna close the cliffhanger? No, bear almost, <laughs> almost. I'm. This is like pure soap opera where I stretch it out till. Episode 100, when it finally, everything finally lands. But will I, it? No. Will it? <laughs> it, it will. It will, because there is pressure on me to 
decide what to do. Oh. And in order so Brent doesn't know all the story. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back up, gloss over what he and I talked about originally a month and a half ago. <laughs> but but first off, is it at a point right now I'm where at you're a point, the bottleneck? Um it's just waiting on a decision from Alan. It's mostly waiting on a decision from me, but that decision requires me uh, talking to two more people on Monday to get a little better feel. We talk about what that is in a moment. Oh, so can you can you defer that another two weeks? No, because we could just uh, <laughs> use one hundred and just have the 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 three decide your fate. No, yeah, we'll vote. We'll vote. <laughs> I think I know what I'm going to do. It's going to be, I think, largely obvious as I go through my thought process. Let's get started. To recap those who haven't heard the episodes of Alan, I joined Unity two years ago. Uh, It's been a blast. We talked about very early on, I figured out my team was really a community more than people that worked for me. The modern testing principles evolved out of what we had been talking about on the show. And I started putting those things into practice to see what would work. Again, people. some people are afraid of principle seven, which the second half says, uh, paraphrased, you may not have the need for a tester on your team anymore, a dedicated testing specialist, I should say. So what's happened is over the two years, I've slowly moved my entire team, well, most of my team, to not work directly for me. And as of our latest reorg into a brand new division at Unity, I have dissolved the remainder of my testing organization and retired my cost center. There is no longer a cost center associated with my team. They all work elsewhere. So what does that mean? What happens when you work yourself out of a role? Well, the good news is, is I have not worked myself out of a job. The fun part has been over the last few months figuring out what is the new role for me within my job at Unity. And I talked a little bit. I talked to Brent a little bit. I was exploring the idea with uh, our leader of our new division over running a large part of the organization. Uh, Definitely, there's some challenges in that. Uh, A lot of meetings, I imagine. Uh, I've... I felt pretty good about how I've managed people at Unity, and but really more about how I've built a community and helped them become leaders. I thought that would be a good role for me. Uh, we had some more conversations, and there was a larger need, I won't go into complete details, to directly manage one of the feature teams, which will grow basically a dev manager role in a team that would start off moderately sized and grow very, very quickly to be quite large, uh, building a lot of internal and external services, uh, services for game developers uh, and enabling other teams at Unity to build uh, services, even if they didn't have that services background. I thought that sounds fun. That's in my, that's up my alley. I like this. It's, it's uh, a lot of things I like to do, but I also took some time to reflect and what are the things that I like and what are the things that I don't like? And which is a good exercise that anyone going back to Brent talking about the potential of uh, eighth principle. It's like, how do you take care of yourself? And while I don't believe it's a principle, I think there are some things 
for anybody, whether you're doing modern testing or not, as you're growing in your career, think about, especially when you get old like me, you really want to do the things that are most, that you enjoy the most. that feel like the biggest challenge for you. Uh, I'm going to interrupt there. Yeah, please, please. That's a good place to right stop. There, there's, I don't think you being old is what matters. I think this is true. I only got a few years left, Brent. No, I know. <laughs> But, you know, the corollary is, is, hey, if you're fresh in, in the industry, you know, you can afford to spend the next 20 years of your life, you know, hating your job. Right. And so what I what I tell people is when you think about a job change, think about three things. Number one, what do you do well? OK, that's one set. Think of a three circled Venn diagram. What do you do well? What do you like to do? And what can you be paid to do? Like you want to find you want to find the sweet spot for all three. And uh, there's an old Confucius saying, right? It's um, find the job that you love and you will never work a day in your life. Right? Um and I've always had jobs I've loved. And I'm going to uh, see if I can find – I can't find it, but I'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, let me go through – I and there's – yes, that's relevant. I think it's a lot uh, – one thing I've noticed is or, or I've encountered is that that Venn diagram is much easier to execute on – well, and not leave your company if you're at a big company like Microsoft. Uh, Unity's still 2,000 people. Uh, and actually, that'll come into play here in a minute. Uh, so I definitely can find all three. And and to be clear, this is, you can kind of see where this is going. This is the job offered to me. It's good. It's very good. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of challenge. But on reflection, I started to wonder if it was the best role for me. And let me tell you about the the steps that I go through when I think about changing jobs. The high-level statement is never go from a job, always go to a job. And more importantly, never define best role based off of a fear. So, no, right, right. Yeah. So one exercise I do when saying when, when evaluating a role is – to think about what are the three things that I dislike the most about role A or role B. And when I thought about this this dev manager role, uh, again, to be ultimately clear, uh, it would be a cool job. A lot of people are really excited for me to take this role. Uh, but in the end, I want to do what's best, what I feel is are best you, are for you my Are you deciding on air right now? No, no, no. no, okay. no, no. I'm, try- I'm just trying to tell a story here. Right. So. I reflected and I thought, you know, I've been a dev manager before. Uh, you could count a little bit uh, of, you know, I ran infrastructure and tools on uh, on uh, Microsoft Teams. I forgot the name of the damn thing. But then I reflected back. I thought, oh, my God, I forgot way, way back in 2001, maybe. I was the dev lead for the uh, the shell on Windows CE. I was going to say that I was going <laughs> to ask, is that your wits? W- and I I totally forgot. And that was 
it was that experience that made me double down on test because what I realized at that time is there are a lot of people that like making things and are excited by feature work. And for me, fixing bugs and fixing process and making things better, and if we didn't have a phrase for it, but accelerating the achievement of shippable quality was a much more satisfying role for me than making things. And when this role has been sold to me, it's a lot about uh, making things. I thought, wait a minute, I've made things before and it was fun, but it wasn't exciting for me. Oh, you know, for me, so when when I went to Bing as as a dev manager, the thing that I found actually really surprising, and it's aligned with what you said, um, my team loved building features and that's great because we were building a product and we needed to do that but i spent my time fixing bugs and it just made me happy as a clam to do so and i think that's okay the way i view it now so that's still kind of what i do although uh, a lot of times i do a lot of um a lot of the bugs I'm fixing, are, you wouldn't argue that they're bugs because a lot of times I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this was designed this way. And it and this bug fix is actually a full architecture re-implementation. But I now very much focus. So I wouldn't use your old wince days because the world is very different. Yeah, no, no, it is. It is. And, and to be clear, that was a, a reflection exercise and... The way I would run the dev team would be much more like I ran the team's developers. Uh, so I, it would definitely be, and I would have, and I would or will, I haven't made a decision yet, uh, have some of my old uh, QA team members working for me in, uh, and actually one of those one of those people is pretty much doing a, a DevOps role entirely right now. He just implemented a feature flag service. Anyway, yeah, uh, I haven't heard the downside yet. So no, no. And so the other the other aspect too that that uh, the way I look at things now is I own the business. No, no, and, and again, it is a to be clear. Uh, let me finish up my thoughts on this. Let me move on to what I'm th- my okay. other my other choice if I can get through this. So uh, the other thing is, is I this team will grow, and I like hiring. I think it'd be fun, uh, but. And of course, it's a it's a leadership role. So I'm working. I, I'm on the leadership team for the division. So we're talking about option two now. We're talking about option one still. Oh, okay. So I would still work across the organization on a bunch of different things, and I like that. But I kind of like again reflection time. Let's go back to Xbox One, where uh, I worked across uh, an entire organization, helping them do better at what they needed to do. Again, before we had a name for it, accelerating the achievement of shippable quality. It started off with just the test team, then it was all the console team, and then I was uh, communicating and coordinating across uh, Xbox Live and then game development teams. I like having my hands in a lot of different places. You know this from building communities at at Microsoft. There is something, I like that. I like the challenge of influencing a bunch of people that don't necessarily work for me. And I've been able to do that quite a bit at Unity, but uh, I think I would have less chance of that in this role. But that's okay. I think I definitely still uh, some cross-divisional leadership opportunities. And then, as I mentioned before, so I said, one, it's something I've done before. Two, it's uh, uh, it's a little narrower in 
perhaps some narrowing in scope. And then the thing also I mentioned before is I like fixing processes and problems uh, more than making things. Not like not like I don't like making things and I wouldn't make it in a way that would be awesome. So, but let's be clear, I haven't shut the door on this currently offered job. Yeah, no, the the issue is it's it, or at least what's in my head is how you're distinguishing things, right? Processes and problems is going to occur in either role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me actually, before you speculate, let okay. me actually talk about the other option I'm thinking about. All right. And I'll decide well before the next episode and, and talk about it on the Slack team if you want to know the details. As part of this, it's great. It's Actually, it's wonderful to have uh, an opportunity to explore both of these things. And, and I have two roles that I uh, am debating and... You can probably tell I'm leaning a little bit towards the second one, but I haven't made a decision yet at all. I'm talking about moving to work full time in our ads organization, our monetization organization. It's more than just ads. Modernization. Monetization. Monetization. Okay. Money. Money making, which is ads, in-app purchase thing, uh, you know, including those. That's the other option. Yes, okay. and so let me talk about that role a little bit. Of course. Uh, long-time listeners will know that the QA folks in that organization used to be part of my org, and it's one of the first QA orgs I moved back to work for the dev teams. And many of those, a couple of people are still in largely a testing specialist role within that organization, but most of them are just full-time developers in that organization that happen to have some extra quality knowledge. It's a team of about 160 engineers. Okay. And, of course, there's a bunch of product managers, uh, defining what we're doing, making deals with uh, customers, developers, advertisers, etc. So the overall goal in that org is to increase quality, accuracy, and velocity of offerings offered by the group. So the role there is to work across all of the ads engineering teams, helping them, again, accelerate their achievement and shippable quality, but working across all the different organizations. Um, it's about... Which, all of their all of their dev teams are between three and seven people. So what's shippable quality in that context? Like I think I think I and probably the listeners probably have a a good fuzzy idea of shippable quality from option one, but shippable quality in option two. More money? Less friction? Like how do you define success so far? I haven't even got into the details yet, but I think it would be better predictability and better quality, better predictability by scheduling and, and a good predictability in their project management. Uh, the teams largely do project management the same, but there are definitely some tweaks there. And I've, again, this is a team I've worked with tangentially nonstop for the last two years. And also quality. So the, what you just described, I just want to be clear. It sounds like synchronized cat herding. Uh, a lot of cat herding. They need some cat herding. And okay. the, the way the, the VP put it, he says, says we have an org that th thrives pretty well in chaos, but we just want someone who can bring just the right amount of order to our chaos. Okay. And I like doing that. So, And also uh, imp definitely improving uh, uptime, service quality, uh, predictability and deployment rates, um, helping manage expectations appropriately between engineering and product management. Uh, in fact, the last two people I need to talk to, uh, mainly for me to interview them, uh, is a couple people from the product management team to understand what they see as bottlenecks, okay. what they see as issues with engineering, 
probably a lot of what I would do is manage expectations on reality on one. Yes, we can deliver this thing that'll make a $10 million, but if we do it by the date you want, we'll probably lose 5 million in the first week as a, as a total made up example, a little bit of project management coaching, a lot of quality coaching, uh, a lot of really it's a role again, that I'll work myself out of eventually I assume but one, I think it's a lot of growing the quality culture within the team uh, to more advanced levels. So do you have a team in this option? Uh, probably not initially. Okay. I would probably work as an, as an IC initially. So what you described to me almost sounds like an engineering evangelist type. I don't know if I'd call it that. Um, and actually, here's a good thing: is like uh, I'll give a few more highlights of the role. And I'm going to figure out what we'd call it if I if I ended up taking this role because I don't know what to call it. I kind of want to get out of the quality director, you know, quality name. So anyway, uh, so I'll just give you the list of things the VP sent me. He gives some some examples: adding processes and frameworks for tracking dependencies and communication between teams as teams. As teams grow from small to large, as you know from reading Brooks or Weinberg or right. anyone else, uh, the ability to communicate among them decreases. So helping with that, helping facilitate communication, making sure there's some consistency in quality bars and especially like a definition of done, developing a culture of autonomy and quality and transparency, You're figuring out what do we, are there things that we can measure, things like that, visibility on how teams how people on teams are allocated make sure it's because we're looking across all teams so you yeah can shift I, I know people the around. title I, I figured it out okay let me let me finish here um and then track we have some ongoing programs like the team is it's 60 percent feature work 20 percent innovation you know uh 20 time and then 20 percent tech debt and but teams don't track it some teams don't use it right it's like it's uh maybe coming up with some ways to keep those things on track so basically helping the engineering VP of that group achieve his vision by doing all the magical things that I know how to do. Okay. I'm ready. What are you going to call it? Because this, 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 this role this, sounded super familiar and I finally realized where it came from. And uh, in the safe framework. Oh, God. Uh, we just lost our three listeners. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I think safe is a fantastic framework. I know you do. Um, this role that you're describing is known as the release train manager. Huh. I don't know if I like that. You got anything better? No, actually. Because a release train manager is, in essence, a communication role and a, and a and a... So you can think of it like a train station. Their job is to make sure it's is is to honor the required necessities from the business team, right? You're essentially going to be a, a an intermediary between the business team and the engineering team. Is, is a little bit. That's definitely part of the job, right? But also a lot of hands-on in the engineering team, helping them do a better job. So first off, if if I were to go into that role. I'm just telling you the thing I would do is I would immediately uh, go take I would go take a refresher on safe and that's how I would begin deploying it and saying this and 
And if you go do a review on that, like the structure's all there. Makes everyone happy, happy, happy. Okay. Um, and offline, next time we do lunch, I can go into more detail if it's useful. We can set up lunch sooner if the pending decision. Now, that said, if I were to go into that role, and I've been in the role of release trained manager uh, once in my career. Uh, this was about a four months before I finally left that team and came to where I'm at now. Okay. It is essentially a super duper release manager, which doesn't, uh, it's an important role, does not appeal to me. When you started talking about the monetization stuff, that started sounding actually pretty exciting from my current role. Right, uh, as a data scientist, focus on customer behavior and improving business KPIs. Um, but that's not where you went with the discussion. No, and but I think that I, I get what you're saying, and I remember reading enough about Safe to remember this role. Uh, but I think the difference is the amount of coaching. And maybe the release train manager does that. I don't recall that, but just a lot of helping teams figure out how to approach quality better, and we'll use. Uh, they're already using my quality culture transition guide and helping. And again, I guess the release train manager would include some coaching on how to project manage. You better. would essentially be unity's agile coach. Until or that, or that, that, that division. Until you solid or that. Yeah. Until you solidified into a pure RTM role. At which case maybe I've worked myself out of that role into something else. It, it once, so that's exactly what I did. Is is actually I I was the RTM. I had a person shadowing me, and when I left, he just took over. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, those are the things I'm thinking about. Both very different, mm -hmm. uh, different challenges, different drawbacks. Uh, again, in this, as I mentioned initially, the role will be an IC role, and I've actually really grown to like managing people. Uh, Unity, so I will miss doing that, uh, but I think that will be a temporary thing. I'm not sure what I need a team for, but we'll figure that out as we go. But that's I'm gonna offer you another option. What's another option? I'm not coming back to Microsoft. No. Okay, good. The only time I would suggest that uh, would be if I had an opening, and that's for entirely uh, selfish reasons. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, if you were to take my suggestion around applying the safe framework and looking through that, uh, honestly, if, based on what I know, I don't see a reason why you couldn't do all of the above. Well, they're in different divisions. And? Uh, uh, something else to discuss in the longer term. Someone's waiting for our room. So why don't we wrap oh. it up there? Okay. And we'll find out more at episode 100 again, April 12th, 8 a.m. PDT. Contact me on Twitter or via Slack if you want to take part. We'd love to have you there. I'm still Alan after 99 episodes. And I'm Brent. Later. <laughs>